You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Hey, my name's Don Wooster. I am really glad to be here. They spelled my name right. That's amazing because I mispronounce it. Um, and uh, we're huge fans uh, of your church. We're huge fans of the Bentleys, and they, uh, they're just the real deal. And so when Nathan called me and said, hey, do you want to come out? I'd said, absolutely. I would love to come out. Um, particularly fun that he is up um, playing and praying and um, baptizing and singing and with a whole group of guys. I think there's five or 600 um, men up from some of the churches at Lost Canyon. And uh, I've gotten to be part of lots of guys' weekends. I would tell you, I almost always get hurt on men's weekends. Um, and I think it's a good tradition. I think probably some of these guys will come back with ace bandages and ice packs and bruises. And um, something happens, I think, with guys' brains when they get together. Um, as soon as you throw them a football or a soccer ball, some part of their brain tells them that they're really 19. Um, the problem is that their bodies actually know how old they are. So you see a group of guys and you toss a football and, and suddenly you just, we're about 30 seconds from someone pulling a hamstring right now. Someone's dislocating a shoulder. I, I know that that's happening, but I still can't stop it. As soon as I get and someone throws me, I'm convinced I can run my best 40 yard. Uh, I'm just convinced. And my body always reminds me that I'm delusional. And I really don't have lightning quick speed or reactions. And if I cut really fast, I'll blow my knee out. But I ignore it. I get hurt. And um, it's kind of a great time. So excited that uh, the guys are away this weekend and they're doing that. Very uh, happy that I get to come and be with, I don't, with you guys. I don't want to put any pressure, but you're supposed to be the killer service this time period. So I don't want to put pressure on you guys. But, you know, eight, eight o'clock people are faithful. They got up early. That's, let's recognize that. Next service are newbies. Thank you, Jesus. You guys are supposed to be the veteran, bring it kind of crowd. So I hope you're good. That's just hoping. I've been praying for you. So, um, hey, uh, we, uh, um, my daughter this afternoon is making a little homemade uh, viewing piece so she can watch the solar eclipse tomorrow because she didn't order the special glasses to keep you from going blind. But apparently you can find out on, on YouTube how to make your own little homemade version. So I'll let you know how that works out. But... Um, Tomorrow's a solar eclipse, right? Um, so I, I think I'm gonna go out and watch it because I think it's kind of cool that the sun would go away for a little while, I guess. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's kind of wild that the intensity of the sun is so bright that we have to just almost protect ourselves from looking at it because it's so bright. It, it's so magnificent. It is so overwhelmingly dazzling that we almost have to go, wow, uh, through the clouds or at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day or looking through a little pinhole to sort of go, there's so much glory and brilliance that it kind of brings. And I think it's kind of great that the Lord has that much to kind of bring. Um, and so I want you to know I'm a big fan of guys. I am one, and I think guys are great. 
And I think they're marvelous, but this morning, we're not gonna talk about marvelous men, we're gonna talk about magnificent women. Come on. Uh, magnificent women. And uh, you know, uh, in Genesis, in the creation accounts, when God is making things in Genesis one and two, the two creation accounts we have, um, as God makes things, as he calls them into being, he, after he makes something, he always says, and it was good. And then he brings this forward, and it was good. And through the whole creation account, God keeps declaring that it's good. But in the second account of Genesis 2, when, when we're, we're hearing a little bit more detail, um, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. This is the first thing and the only thing in the Genesis accounts when God is creating that God stops and instead of saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, God stops, sees man by himself and says, that's not so good. Uh, the Hebrew word for good is mayo. And it just means it's rich, it's right, it's, it's full in a in really good way. And God looks at man by himself alone and says, that's not good that man would be by himself. Now, I understand that. And just as a guy, I want you to know, this is God saying this, okay? Not your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter. This is God kind of saying, that's not so good. And I would tell you that, uh, you know, God's response to that is, I will make a helper suitable for him. God decides to make a helper, and you guys follow me on this, because we need help. I'm gonna say it one more time. God decides to make a helper because we need help. Now, let me just tell you, I don't like needing help. I just don't, I'm a guy. And so if we're driving somewhere and we're taking a really long time and my wife goes, Do you, are we getting there? Is this the right way? I go, absolutely. Translation, I'm lost. <laughs> Confidently lost. Yeah, I don't, need to, I don't need to look at that. I know where I'm going. Right, I need help mostly with directions, right? When I put a trampoline together for our kids, my wife finds the instructions. Do you need the instructions? I got it. Translation, I'm clueless. There's extra parts in here. There's missing parts in here. There's the instructions. I don't need that. I'm a guy, right? Kind of a thing. If I'm not feeling well or looking well or I'm bleeding through some body orifice, my wife will go, should you go to the doctor? I go, no, I'm good probably means I'm dying. <laughs> I'm about to pass out. Um, right? I mean, God says, it's not good. You need help. And I'm going to make a helper. Right? The word helper, azor, is used 21 times. God uses the word 20 times about himself as the helper. Right? Helper is not assistant. Helper is not associate. Helper is not accessory. Helper is help. Helper brings capacity. Helper brings insight. Helper brings something that you need. And God said, I'm bringing you help because you need it, and it's woman. And at the end, Genesis 6, that first part of the day, God says, man by himself, not good. But as he adds a woman to that creation, the very last thing God does 
is to add the creation, the presence of a woman. Um, there are some traditions that believe the very last thing that happens really punctuates. Now, God makes Adam first, and that's totally significant and right and good, but he makes Eve last. And there's kind of this crescendo moment in creation where God's laid everything else out, but this is the grand finale. This is like a painter who's making a masterpiece, and it's the very last brushstroke that makes it the best. We were in um, Utah over the 4th of July, um, staying with some friends, and we went down to their little uh, golf course down there where they're gonna have a fireworks show. And so we watched for about 25 minutes. They had a fireworks show. There was a little lull, and then there was a little volley, and we go, that's it. And so we watched, and we packed up our lawn chairs. We were heading out, and then the real finale came. And it was spectacular. It was over the top. It was jaw-dropping. Like we just stood there kind of going, oh my gosh, right? Which is just what Adam does when he sees Eve. It is this jaw-dropping, burst into song, sort of like going, it is magnificent. It is dynamic. It is beautiful. It is overwhelming. And God just goes, you're welcome. Ta-da! And then God goes, and then God makes this pronouncement. It went from not good when the day started with Adam alone to tov meo, which means exceedingly good. Not just better, not even just back to good, but once woman enters the picture, God uses that word to go, this is exceedingly good. The only other time God uses that word is about the promised land he's gonna bring people into. And he goes, that is exceedingly good. And the presence of a woman into the life of a man is exceedingly good. That's the framework. And, and realizing that this is God's magnificence that, that, we're, that women are invited to steward, invited to bring. Um, I've got uh, four kids. They're getting older. Last week I had a little bit of a crisis because uh, my oldest daughter uh, started her senior year in high school, which I was not ready for because three years ago she was in kindergarten. I know she was. Because um, we took the picture first day of school and, um, and she was there. And my youngest daughter, Abigail, started freshman year in high school, so they're both in high school. So we took the picture last, last week of us standing in front of first day of school. And then I walked out. I did what I've been doing for 20 years. I walked out of the garage with my keys to drive them to school. And Renee goes, Emma's driving her and Abigail to school. This is a 20-year job for me. This is what I do. This is what I've always done. And I was standing with my keys, and I, I was just, I, I'd had, I go, well, what do I do? And she goes, smile and wave. <laughs> oh my gosh, how did that happen? How did they get, Emma was just in kindergarten. She was, and uh, you know what? But, but here's, the, here's the amazing thing is that um, in every season, God keeps unfolding, right? When Abigail, or when Emma was in kindergarten, um, she, was, she was cute as a button. And um, we had this little commotion that happened one day uh, that Emma went during the lunch hour um, the girls sit in one table, then there's a little space, and the boys sit in another table. And there's this little boy, Ryan, who had noticed how adorable my daughter was. And so Ryan had been checking her out from across the no man's land space. And then Ryan, one day, kind of 
grabs his Spider-Man lunchbox and he crosses the no man zone and sits down right next to Emma at the end, which, I mean, this is like risky business here. He's come over to the girl's table and everyone's kind of seeing what's going on and Ryan turns to Emma and then he kind of turns away. Like he wants to say something, but he, he turns again, he turns away. And then he just finally goes, I love Emma! And just shouts it out. It just erupts out of him, right? And all the guys moan, like, oh, oh man down, right? And all the girls scream, like, ha! There's commotion, the cafeteria ladies have to come restore order. I mean, it's all, it's perfect. So Renee kind of debriefs me, I get home, and I said, all right, I'm just gonna follow up. I'm a trained counselor, I'll, I'll talk her through this, we'll get it all squared away. So I'm talking to Emma afterwards. She's all good, she's clear. And I go, but Emma, just know someday there will be a man in your life who might really wanna be with you, maybe even marry you. And just remember, he's gotta love you more than anything else if he's really gonna be in your life. And Emma listened to me and she goes, hmm. She goes, actually, Dad, I, I think he needs to love Jesus a little bit more than me. Right? That's right, I was testing you. <laughs> because I'm a guy and I don't need any help. And right, here's the thing, Emma, Emma hears from the Lord. Emma knows, she receives from God to go, there's something better than a man loving me more than anything. If he loves Jesus more than me, I'll be fine. Right, Dad? Emma was leading me. Emma was leading me. You don't have to be tall to lead people. You don't have to go to school to lead people. You don't have to have credentials to lead people. She, she sensed, knew what God had, what was in his heart, and she was leading me. Um, there's another magnificent woman. Um, in Judges uh, chapter four, we meet Deborah. Uh, Deborah is also a woman who hears from the Lord. She's uh, prophets. And it says in Judges chapter 4, I'm just going to read this little section. Um, Israel's at this place where they're, they've come into the promised land and Joshua got it started, but they haven't completely taken possession of this very good land. And so now they're being led by judges. And periodically, a judge is risen up and leads and the people follow and then the judge dies and they fall back into sort of just disorder and disarray and disobedience. And uh, this is now Deborah, and it's been about 20 years that the people have been floundering, and the Canaanite king, um, Jabin, has been harassing them, and his army, uh, Sisera, has been his general. And it says this in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to start reading here. It says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ethraim. And Israelites went up to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinon, from Kadesh and Tivoli, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them to Mount Tabor. I, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin army, this is God talking, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak, who was a leader in Israel, said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman 
So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. You know, here's the amazing thing is that Deborah hears from the Lord and Deborah has a sense, God wants to do something. We're being harassed. Um, our community's at risk. And God's told me, raise your army. Go out, we're going to confront this. And the word comes through Deborah who has a, a hunger and a heart and a receptiveness to the Lord. And so they do, they go out. And so 10,000 men, now they're gonna face 900 iron chariots. And so the men of Israel are up on the high, the high plain and um, Deborah goes with him. And here's what she says as they face these, these 900 chariots in, in Judges 4.14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And if you continue to read, God routes the chariots. It's a huge victory. Sisera is killed. Jabin, is, his kingdom is knocked out. Israel gets reestablished. And here's what Deborah does. Deborah celebrates with Barak. God's goodness. She doesn't replace him. She doesn't dominate him. She celebrates with him and said, isn't it good when the, the princes of God the lead and the people follow? She is a catalyst. She is hearing and, and helping him do his job. And it's a celebration. It's a richness. There was some help she could bring and she was willing to bring it. And God got a great victory. And they celebrated that victory. And she was willing to participate in that in a really faithful, great way. And God got, the, God got the honor and the people got the deliverance. That's a beautiful, magnificent thing um, for Deborah. When um, Abigail uh, was in fourth grade, she uh, was out at school one day and uh, she was with her three friends. And this little guy, Tommy, who I won't, I'm not a big fan of Tommy, I'll just tell you that going into this story. Um, Tommy's his fourth grade boy. He's just a goofball 10-year-old boy. Um, but these four friends, Abigail being one of them, were there. And he comes up to one of my daughter's friends and he makes some really clueless, critical remark about her glasses. And she just kind of collapses. You look funny in glasses. And then the next friend, he says something mean to her. And, and that friend yells at him. And then she says another mean thing to her other friend. And that girl starts to cry. And then he comes to Abigail and he says something really mean to my daughter. So as, as I'm hearing the story, I'm thinking about what's going to happen to Tommy when I catch up to Tommy. Um, but um, I, I stop and I ask Abigail, I go, Abigail, wow, that's really mean. I go, what did you do when he said that? And Abigail goes, well, you know, I thought about it for just a second. And then I realized, hey, that's not true. And I go, oh, I go, what did you do? And she goes, well, I just look back at Tommy and I go, hey, Tommy, that's not true. I go, what did Tommy do? He goes, he kind of turned his head sideways. You know, like Chance, our dog does when he hears something. He doesn't understand. And I go, what, what happened after that? She goes, I just looked at him and said, and Tommy, I don't receive that. And then she goes, hey, let's go play Foursquare. And off they went. Right? Abigail was holding on to truth. She wasn't responding to Tommy's bad behavior. She wasn't engaging it. She wasn't caught in it. She wasn't spun in it. She kind of had a grounding to kind of go, you know what? What you're saying isn't true. I'm not going to receive that. 
God has something for us and this isn't it. And she went on her way, right? Um, there's another Abigail in 1 Samuel, verse 25. Um, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Um, the Abigail in this verse uh, early is described as that Abigail was beautiful and intelligent. Um, and uh, we also find out that Abigail's married to Nabal. And Nabal is wealthy and he's had his herds out. And David's army has been protecting and keeping watch over his herds so that they're completely protected. And Nabal is described as a mean, surly, foolish man. And so David, uh, as would be customary, he sends in his lieutenants at the shearing time because by custom, um, David's been providing sort of a, a protection around this large herd. He hasn't taken any animals. The shepherds have had the covering. This would be the time when Nabal should offer hospitality so that David and his men can also celebrate. And when David's men go, Nabal totally shuts him down, insults him, rejects him and sends them off. Um, when these guys go back to David and say, Nabal totally insulted us and did the rest of that, like David says, let's go get Tommy right now. He packs his sword. 400 men, put on your swords. We are gonna go talk to Nabal for rejecting us. Now the servants know that Nabal is foolish and mean and surly. So they go to Abigail. They tell Abigail what happened. And it says that Abigail acted quickly and she sent her maids out with an offering and with refreshment and with sheep and with everything to these guys. And then Abigail gets on her own uh, uh, mule and she rides straight into, it's an army of 400 guys coming to destroy her family. And Abigail goes past her husband, who was clueless and mean, and goes straight on her own mule to David. And when she gets there, she comes before him and she said, you know what? She goes, uh, my husband acted foolishly. Um, my husband rejected you. Would you please accept our hospitality now? Would you please do that? David was about to destroy Nabal and all the men in that thing. And he was also about to sort of create his own problem by acting and by avenging and by putting blood on his own hands. And, it, and after Abigail appeals to him, she says, and David, you are going to be the king of Israel. God has established it. Don't put innocent blood on your hands. God has a purpose for you. And David, after hearing from Abigail, says this in verse 32, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if, he had not, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she'd brought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Abigail had great judgment, great heart, great courage to sort of go, this is men behaving badly. What, what's happening here is a total disrespect. And she rode right into it with wisdom and grace and courage and spoke truth to power 
uh, both really to her husband and to David, who both had authority over her, to go, I don't think this is what God has. And she was right. That's a magnificent woman. That's a woman saying, I'm on the side of what's true. I'm on the side of what's right. And if it's not, I, I don't want to receive it. I want to speak truth. And, and she saved not only her family, but she saved David as well. Um, that's a magnificent woman, really stepping up and believing God. Um, I'm going to look at one more magnificent woman. When, uh, when my oldest son was five, he played in this little basketball league. That, so it's a five-year-old basketball league, so it should be pretty easy, right? I mean, these are little kids. You're trying to remember which side is your basket. You're trying to remember you've got to bounce the ball occasionally. They get to wear a little jersey. So the kids are doing great, which is typical. It's the parents that are a problem. If you have kids in sports, you know this. Like, kids almost always play better than their parents. Like, it's horrible, but it's true. And so it was true, but five years old, like, this should be easy. But one of the dads starts smack-talking the referee, right? And, and then the, the referee gets a little wild, so he starts going back. And then this dad comes out of the stands and goes down. And so these two are, are just like facing off in the middle of it. And the, the parents, we're just like, these are five-year-olds, right? So the parents, we kind of collectively just shoo them out of the gym. And I had gone there. Renee was a little behind me. Uh, she, had, she was getting Jacob ready. He was just six months old. And um, so the game proceeds. These two big guys that are just going at it, we just, we just collectively shoo them out. They're out of the gym. Uh, a few minutes later, um, a, another mom comes in. She's on one of the teams, and she's talking to her husband, and she goes, she goes, wow, what, like, what's, what happened in here? And so her husband says, well, these two big guys were going at it, and we shoot them out. And she goes, well, when I was coming up, he goes, this lady with the stroller went walking over, and these two big guys were right there, and she shoved her stroller right between them. And she is in, up in there. She's like five foot three. And as, she, as this woman's describing it, I just go, that would be my wife? <laughs> Which it was, right? And she'd seen these two big guys going at it, being total, you know, in front. And she just pushed her way in. She put her stroller, which Jacob was in the stroller. Um, and then these guys are huge. And she just goes, you two are going to stop this right now. And these guys don't know quite what to do. She goes, this is a school. This is a kid's event. You're acting like five-year-olds. And she just is like, she's going, you know what? You're going to settle down. You're going to do a better job. And she is just totally redirecting these two big guys. And she had them a little bit. She goes, now you're going to go home. You're going to do a better job when you come back here. You can go now. She basically puts him in time out, sends him out, right? And then she comes back in. And I, I see her rolling back in. I go, I go, Renee, what went on? She goes, oh, just men behaving badly. I just had to step in. I mean, here's the deal. You know what? They were behaving badly. They were creating a problem. They were ignoring what was most important, right? The last magnificent woman um, in Mark 5, uh, we meet uh, our final woman. And she is magnificent as well, but she's been through some stuff. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus has just, uh, Jairus has just asked him if he can come and pray for his daughter who's dying. And Jesus said yes. He's on his way to go there. In Mark 5 verse 25, we pick it up and it said a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the crowd. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Um, you know, this is a woman who has been through a lot of pain. For 12 years, she's had a menstrual discharge, which makes her unclean. She can't go into worship. She can't live in her home. She can't be in social settings. She can't make contact with another person or they'll be unclean. 12 years, she's been living in confinement from any contact with anyone. And she's been going to doctors and she's been paying the money. Her resources have gone down and her health has gotten worse. And she's at the very end. And Jesus is surrounded by a, a, an important group. Jairus is the head of the synagogue. And Jesus is on his way. And all these men are crowding around him. And this one woman with this whole pack of men around him taking Jesus on this very important meeting, this one woman who says, if I could just get to Jesus, I won't touch him, that would make him unclean, but if I can just touch the hem of his garment, it'd be enough to heal me. And she presses her way through this group of men to just touch Jesus. Now everyone's pressing on Jesus, but this woman is touching him. A lot of us can bump into Jesus on Sunday morning. If you just bump into Jesus as part of the crowd, it probably won't change your life. A lot of people bumped into Jesus. But if you reach out in desperation and faith and courage to him, even touching the hem of his robe can transact something. And that's what this woman did. She felt it immediately. And you know what? Jesus, it's the only place in the miracles that Jesus says that he felt the power go out. There isn't any other miracle that Jesus describes this sense Something was just released in me by this touch of a woman. And then he stops the whole crowd and listens to the whole truth, her whole story, 12 years of heartache and isolation. And I think him stopping to look at her and to listen to her was part of the healing Jesus had as well. It was part of him saying, I see you. I love you. And then he says a word that he doesn't use for anyone else in all of scripture, he says, daughter. It's the only time Jesus uses that word. He looked at this woman who's been suffering for 12 years and in front of all these men, he just has this really intimate moment where he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, you're released from me. Daughter is a really intimate word. And I would say her willingness to press through and into what might be a very dangerous, unwelcoming place that was part of the magnificence. 
Here's what these women have in common. Uh, they're really hungry. They're really hungry for what God has and they're listening for what God has. Uh, they're also really willing. They're willing to step in. They step into some uncomfortable situations. They step past what might be some cultural boundaries. They step past their own comfort zone. But they're willing and they're faithful. They really believe that God can do something more than what they're seeing. They're full of faith. At the end of the day, the magnificence that all of these women know is in God. He's magnificent. But what they do really well is they really receive that magnificence. And they really release it into their lives, into their communities, into their families, into their relationships, into their own self-care and needs. They receive it and they release it. And I would say for you, we need magnificent women. Bring your magnificence. Bring it. Release it. Believe God has things that he's going to tell you and show you, that he's going to call you to step in, that, that you are helping and critical and necessary. It's not good without you coming with all of the magnificence God has in you. Somebody should say amen to that. That's gospel truth, right? So uh, I want to pray for you guys. Uh, really appreciate a chance to be with you. And uh, God has so much to do in and through this church, in this community. There are so many marvelous men. There are so many magnificent women. It puts a smile on his face when we participate in that. Okay, let me pray for us. We'll have the worship team come. So Jesus, thanks. Thanks that you call us. You call us by name. Lord, you ask us to believe and to receive and to be hungry uh, to hear all that you have, Lord, and to release all that you give us. So I pray for all the great guys and the marvelous guys uh, that are here, the ones that are on the mountain that are going to be heading down. Pray favor and blessing. And God, I pray for the magnificent women uh, that are part of this body, that they would sense your joy and your delight and your pleasure, your favor and wisdom, that you would release more, they would receive more, and Lord, there would be more blessing and favor and transformation that happens because of that. You're so good. You're so extravagant. You are exceedingly, exceedingly good. I ask that we could receive it, Lord, and we could also release it um, on one another, ourselves, and in this community. In your name, amen.